Welcome to Grace, everyone. It's good to see you guys this weekend. Glad that you made it. Glad that you dug out and made it over to church this weekend. Uh, and uh, hopefully you had a great week. Welcome, everybody. Watch it online and at the Montrose building. I'm glad that you're here as well. Uh, we have a, a group of friends down in South Carolina, and they watch as well. We had a blizzard here. It would be like when you guys have like a frost. Uh, it just shuts everything down. We actually went through some suffering, so you're weak is what I'm trying to say. Uh, but we love you and uh, glad that you're with us as well. Uh, thanks so much for, uh, for being here. I want to just lean in one more time to this big event. So you can tell by the way we're harping on it that it's a big deal and we want you to be a part of it. Uh, that gathering is going to be fun. The, the purpose of it is this, that I, I want us to have an energy and a unity and a vision that comes from being together. And the way that Grace is set up and specifically the Bath Campus is set up, uh, we're never in the room together, right? So four services here at Gent Road, two services over at Montrose, and then internet live sites all over the place. And so uh, that's wonderful, and we're glad that all of it works that way. But we, we miss that opportunity to see kind of the magnitude of what God does and have the unity and the vision that comes from seeing how many people uh, are, are kind of bought in and striving to achieve some of the same goals that maybe you are individually. So that's the purpose of the big event, just to get us together. It's, it's the old-fashioned church picnic vibe where you got to see everybody, except it's February and we live here. So we're going inside, and the only venue big enough to hold us in the area is the John S. Knight Center. So we rented that out. And it's going to be fun, and it's going to be uh, uh, neat and interactive for kids and for adults. All that's going to be there. But the biggest thing is we're going to be together, and we're going to see each other and say hi, and hopefully you can connect with some maybe some old friends that are at a different service or at another building, and we can just enjoy that unity and get a vision of what God can do through us together. So throw that on your calendars. February 22nd, it's Friday night, and uh, I, I think we're going to enjoy it. We've never done it before. We're going to give it a shot. I think it's going to be a blast and really want you to try to be there if you're able uh, to be there. Okay, so check that out. We're in a series that we've been in here for the last few weeks called Finding Our Way Back to God. And here's the, the premise of the conversation that we were created to be connected to God, connected to Christ. In fact, the Bible says we're made in his image, that, that we can understand him, we can know him, we long for him, and that life makes the most sense when we're connected to him. Life, life feels fulfilled, it feels complete, there's a security, there's a safety, there, there's just an identity that's all tied to knowing Christ, to following his calling on my life, to be certain of my security in him, his truth, his will, all that kind of stuff. And we're saying that's where we feel like we're home. There's a certainty, there's a security, there's a safety, there's an identity. I feel home when I'm connected to Christ. And the Bible says that all of us, like sheep, go astray. The modern way that we would say that is we wander off. We wander away from home. And so we move away from a close relationship with Christ. And no matter what we do in life, when we get there, it will we'll feel that missing somehow. You may hit Grand slam after grand slam, and you may gain the world, but your soul 
won't be satisfied. Or you might be kind of the opposite end of the spectrum where it's pain and loss and death and there's a hopelessness and an uncertainty and everything in the middle. If my soul isn't healthy and satisfied, then the highs won't be fulfilling and the lows will be beyond desperate. And when we're out there wandering away, we develop what we've called spiritual amnesia. I, I, I know that I knew, but I can't remember what I forgot. There's something missing. Something's incomplete. There's a piece of my life. I used to know it. I thought about it before. Maybe there were moments that I made that connection, but now I can't quite pull it down. And what happens when we have spiritual amnesia is sometimes the answer will flash in front of us. It's Christmas, or it's the Christmas program, or it's a conversation, or it's a song, or it's a connection with a friend who's spiritually minded, or I heard a podcast. Something will remind me, oh, that's right. That's what I knew that I knew, but I couldn't remember that I forgot. I'm missing Christ. I'm missing God in my life. When I was connected, life made sense. The pieces came together the way that I wanted them to. And we said, when that happens, and when that amnesia is lifted for a moment, what we are welcome to do by God is find our way back to God. We're welcome to come home. And when we come home, we will be received, and we will be embraced, and we will be connected by a loving Father. And God loves it when his children who have wandered off decide to come home. In fact, Jesus describes it. And he says, there, there's, this is what it's like. Uh, and he uses this metaphor or parable of a lost sheep. He goes, imagine if you had 99 sheep and one got lost. The shepherd would go look for that one. And when he found it, he would rejoice. And heaven's like that when a sinner repents, heaven rejoices. And he says, uh, you know, here's another example. Imagine that you had a coin that was super valuable and you lost it and you were looking for it and you found it. You would rejoice and heaven's like that. The angels rejoice when a, when a sinner repents and finds their way home. And then he says, here's, a, here's another example. And he gives the example of what is called, we call it the lost son or the prodigal son and what he's like and what his father's like and what that reunion is like when he comes home. We've been looking at that one in detail. So if you got your Bibles, grab them and go to Luke chapter 15 if you want. Luke chapter 15 is page 848 or 49. And those Bibles that are in the chairs, and of course all of this is on the app. And we've been kind of walking through this third example that Jesus gives verse 11, chapter 15, the book of Luke, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to, the fa to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. 
And when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's higher servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And that's where we stopped last weekend. Last weekend, as we talked about this, by the way, all these conversations are online on the app. There's podcasts. It's all for free. It's all there if you want to catch up, and I encourage you to. But last weekend, as we were talking about this, we said, here's the critical thing. The son wandered off wild living. We know later on in the chapter, it's prostitution and drink and wine, that kind of stuff. He just being a party maniac, right? Runs out of water, runs out of resources because he squandered it, finds himself living with the pigs and no one will help him. Key verse in the whole chapter, he comes to his senses. And when he came to his senses, he said, I should just go home. If I go home at a, at a minimum, my father will treat me like one of the servants. And he starts to run this scenario in his mind where he's imagining what the reunion with his father might be like, right? At, at a minimum, he'll make me one of the servants. But why am I doing this? So he gets up from the pig pen. He heads home he is greeted by his father who is looking for him. He says to his father, I've sinned against you, I've sinned against heaven. The father throws his arms around him, kisses him, welcomes him home. Now, I want to pick up the story here then in verse 21, right? So all of that has happened. Verse 20, he sees him, has compassion on him, runs to his son, throws his arms around him, kisses him. Verse 21 the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He says that twice before the reunion and then curiously after the reunion. That's where I want us to kind of focus on this weekend. I, I just want to make sure we have this timeline correct, okay? So the son has wandered off. He is rejected the love and the embrace and security of home. He has left his father. He has squandered his wealth and wild living. He's in the pig pen. In the pig pen, he comes to his senses and he, biblical word, he repents. He repents. He turns around. I've been moving away from my father I repent, I come to my senses, and I'm going to turn, and I'm going to go to my father. As he goes to his father, he meets his father, and when he, when he engages his father, ready, he confesses, Father, I've sinned against you, and I've sinned against heaven. So there is the repentance that has happened, and then there is a confession. He didn't look at his father and say, Father, if you had raised me better, I would have never wandered off. Uh, father, I will come back if, if you do this and that. So there's a full repentance. There's a full confession. And then there's an embrace by the father, a compassion, a hug, and a kiss. It is a modeling or an example of 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 
which says, if we confess our sin, God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That process has happened. The son repented, he confessed, and the father cleansed and forgave. I love you, welcome home, hugs, kisses, glad that you're here, okay? So all of that has happened, and then the son looks at his father after repentance, after confession, after forgiveness. The son looks at the father and says, I am no longer worthy to be your son. That you have, you have surpassed, you've exceeded my, my, what I expected or imagined because I was ready to just be your servant. I was prepared to have your finger wagged and you to say, there's my dumb kid who made stupid decisions. I'll let you back in, but you go out there and live in the service. I was prepared for all that. I have owned it repentance, confession, you have come to me and offered forgiveness, grace, and acceptance. I cannot accept it. I am no longer worthy to be your son. It's not an issue with the father. The father's not rubbing it in. Once you live in your rags and smell like a pig a little bit longer. It's an issue of acceptance I can't accept yet. Surely I'm unworthy to be your son. I'm willing to be your servant. I'm open to being your slave. But when you call me your son, I can't handle that. Because you, you must be embarrassed. You must be ashamed you must be holding something over my head. I'm unworthy to be your son. Now let's talk about this for a minute, okay? This idea of being a son or a daughter is a critical idea. In fact, I would say this, to be a daughter or a son is one of the foundational pieces that we need in our lives in order to be healthy human beings. If I'm a human being and I'm uncertain of my sonship or daughtership, so to say, if I'm uncertain of the love and the acceptance and the embrace of my father, if I am not sure somebody loves me like that, I will malfunction in my life. In fact, every one of us right now, as I'm talking, if you look and say, I don't have a, I don't really have a dad. And I say, that's been incredibly difficult for you. You're saying, you better believe it's incredibly difficult for me. I have this void in my life that I, I actually have no certainty that I have been or ever was loved. Maybe your dad has passed away, but you can, like mine has, you can still look and say, but I know he loved me. I know he's proud of me. If I don't have that security and that safety and that certainty of a father's love in my life that would look at me and say, I am proud you are my daughter. I am proud you are my son. It will cause a void in my life that is very, very difficult to overcome. In fact, it's fascinating. Some of us are adopted or we have step parents. 
And it's fascinating the way that, that you will sometimes address that situation. You'll say things like this. This is my father. That's my biological father. But this is my father. I, I acknowledge that this person played a part in the biology of creating me as a human being, but they didn't accept me. They didn't love me. They abandoned me. They didn't support me. They didn't reinforce me. This is my real dad, we'll say, right? This is my real dad. He's not even biologically connected to me, but he took the responsibility. He loved me. He gave to me. He poured into my life. Sometimes you'll say, my dad raised me, and then when I was an adult, I met my biological dad. Because we need that role in our lives so deeply that if it is not offered or given, we, we will find ourselves incomplete and uncertain about how to even steer our way through life, right? Now catch this. The son repents the son confesses, the father seeks to restore his son to relationship, and the son rejects it. I'm not worthy to be called your son. I long for it. I need it. I trust it. I came home, but now that you're giving it to me, I can't believe it would work this way. This kid, probably like a college kid age, is so overwhelmed by the guilt and the shame of his past that he cannot accept the love and the grace of his present. And instead of finding his identity in the acceptance and the compassion and the embrace of his father, he has decided to keep his identity in the pig pen he was living in. He looks and says, I'm not a child of God. I, I'm an addict. It's what I am. And what I have done and the people that I have hurt and the things that I have stolen and the, the depths that my life is, that's who I am. Wait, didn't you repent? Yeah. Did you confess? Yeah. Did you believe in forgiveness? Kinda. I mean, may, maybe God's going to kind of keep me out of hell, but he's a little bit embarrassed, I'm sure. I mean, it's like if I said I'm a follower of Jesus, it's like, that's that kid. I'm not a daughter of God. Who I am is I'm the easy girl from high school. And I see myself that way. That's the pig pen that I lived in. Did you come to your senses? Yes. Did you confess and repent? Yes. The father ran and greeted you. I know, but, but you don't understand. I, I'm that girl, the shame and the, and the guilt, I don't, I, I don't see myself as a royal daughter of the king. I, I see myself as maybe somebody God kind of pulled out of hell a little bit, but, but I don't have much worth or value to him. We, we're not a godly couple 
building a marriage that reflects the essence of Christ's love for the church and the church's responsiveness to Christ. We, we lived together a, before we were married, and it was like later on when the kids were born that we kind of came back to church. And, and if you knew our past, I mean, God knows, and we've kind of held it and hid it from the kids, but we were not like pure and so we're here, and we're just kind of grateful we have a functional marriage. I mean, a thriving one is a little too much to ask. See? I am my pig pen. The one that I left, the one that I confess, the one that I own that I'm responsible to, for putting myself in, but I'm not worthy to be the son of God. Surely he wouldn't want me. A while back, I was talking to a friend of mine and I asked him if I could tell a little bit of a story. He said yes. And, and so I want to, it's powerful. We, we were sitting down together and and he was sharing with me a little bit, and he said, he said, Jeff, I have like this pattern in my life, and I see it happening, I want to preempt it. He said, I, what happens is I, I make a set of friends, and then as I'm around these people, I start getting basically kind of insecure in that. I, I, I feel like I take things personally, and I wonder what they know and if they're talking about me, and it makes me kind of insecure. And when I get insecure, I withdraw, and when I withdraw, I start to like spiral into depression. And he said, I, I see this happening right now, and I'm, I want to preempt it. I, I, I know, like, I'm going down a bad path. I want to preempt it. Can I, can I get together with you? And so I said, sure. And so we got together, and we talked for a little bit, and he's kind of telling me about this pattern. I said, tell, tell me about your, your childhood. And he told me about his childhood, and it's terrible, painful. I wanted to cry, right? And, and kind of an abusive, neglective home, lots of head games and manipulation and can't ever please dad, not sure where mom's at and, and raised in all of that. And he said, as I was in the middle of all of that, like home was kind of like wacky and dad wasn't invested. I never knew what mom was really thinking. And my siblings were all kind of doing their things. It's just dysfunction junction is my home he said, I remember going to school one day. I was in the fifth grade. This guy is like in his 50s. This was long ago. I was in the fifth grade. He said, I went to school, and, and sometimes I didn't have the nicest things. I was a little uncut. I wasn't trained at home. Like, I didn't have these killer social skills kind of a thing. And, and I'm just like this insecure kid from this dysfunctional family. I went to school, and he said, I went to school, and my classmates had passed around a letter. And on the top of the letter, there was a heading. I'll call my friend Steve. There was a heading that said, who hates Steve? He said, all my classmates signed it, except for one. And the kid that didn't sign it brought it to me. And he said, I didn't sign this because I don't think it's right to sign it, but I agree with it. I wanted to cry. 
And then he goes home. Nobody's helping at home. Who do you talk to? Who, who, who builds you up? Who restores your confidence? Nobody, nobody's there. And this 10-year-old little boy has something that marks his identity and he carries it through life. And I said, Steve, I said, could it be that when you come into a new set of relationships and circumstances, what you start to fear is that they're writing a letter? And somebody says something, you take it personally, or there's, a, there's an insecurity, or what did you mean, or there's a misunderstanding. And, it's, and before they can hand you the letter of who hates Steve, you just back away and so you don't have to read it. Because I'm convinced that one of the greatest obstacles to us coming home is that we don't believe we're actually welcomed. Well, did we repent? Yeah, I, I repent. Came to my senses. Okay, did we confess? Yeah, we, I confess. It's it, my responsibility. No, no excuses for my sin. Do you, do you believe that salvation is available? I do. But I'm unworthy to be called a son or a daughter of God. And what happens is this. We believe, we believe that there's a letter. And yours doesn't say, who hates Steve? Yours says, I'm the easy girl. And everybody signed it, including Christ. I'm... I'm the burnout kid. I'm the, I'm the addict. Everybody knows that. Even Christ. I'm the adulterer. I, I, that's, who I, that's who I am. I did it. I don't deny it. I'm just really grateful that my wife didn't leave me and my kids talked to me. But I'm not worthy to be a son of... I'm the rebellious... I, I grew up knowing all the answers and I chose to ignore them and just, man, college was ridiculous and I regret it and I'm ashamed of it now. And that's my letter. I'm that guy in college. That's my title. And everybody knows that's who I am, including Christ. And surely, because that's who I am, he doesn't really want me all the way here. There's no way this works this way. I'm open to being a servant or a slave, but a son or a daughter of the Most High King? What does God say? What's God say? Ephesians chapter 1 is a great passage. Look at this. For he, Christ, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. I want you to get this, it's huge. Christ chose 
you. He didn't get stuck with you. You weren't like the accidentally spiritually reborn person that we weren't planning for. He, he doesn't look and say, oh, I guess there's a quota of those kinds that I got to let in. He chose you and he chose you when? Before the creation of the world, before you wandered off, while you were still a sinner, Knowing your personal pig pen, he chose you for what? I chose one just to pluck him out of hell to make a point, you know, just kind of keep him barely out. Chose you for what? He chose you to be holy. The word holy means set apart for God's use. I chose you. I predestined you to do good works, which I knew in advance you would do. I chose you to be set apart for, for me, you are my holy possession. You are my possession to do good works for me. I chose you to be holy and blameless. I knew when you wandered off where you were going to go. And when you repented and came to your senses and decided to come home, I chose to forgive you, wash you whiter than snow, throw your sin as far as the east is from the west, bury your sin at the bottom of the sea. All metaphors the scripture gives of what forgiveness is like. I didn't choose to kind of clean you up a little bit and not hold everything against you. You're not coming before me to work a plea deal you're innocent. I chose you to make you holy and blameless. In love, he predestined us to, 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 to adoption and to sonship. He chose to adopt us. You are wanted. You were looked for. The father is looking for his son and his daughter to come home. You are adopted into sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. It is joy. It is rejoicing. It is fulfillment. It's tears of embrace. I'm so excited you're coming home and will. It's purposeful. It's meant to be. It's been driven. He made a plan to come and adopt you. From his pleasure and his will. In him, we have redemption. You know what redemption is? Redemption is this. It's being made completely new. It's being born again. It's taking the old and recreating it in a new. It's using your pain for God's glory. It's all of the above. It's got nothing to do with if I tuck my tail and keep my head low, that maybe God will be nice and bail me out of hell a little bit. It's a reworking of a person completely and thoroughly. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sin, not, not the toleration of sin. Not, not the, oh, dumb kid. All right, I'm going to let it slide this time. The forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. It's not a father who says, you know what? I'm going to give you just enough forgiveness and just enough grace to get your sorry button gear. 
come home, you ragtag, smelly, dumb kid who should never laugh. You know what? Here's a little bit of forgiveness, a little bit of grace. Go over there and scrub the floors with the servants. He lavished, lavished his love, lavished his grace, lavished his compassion on his children. He chose to do that, knowing we were going to go astray. There is no list with your name on it. But Jeff, but Jeff, what about the egregiousness of sin? So God doesn't think sin and rebellion is a big deal? We, we, everybody goes to heaven? Well, no, what are you talking about? Well, I have to do penance. I have to pay for my sin. I got to work my way. No, 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 no. Your sin has been paid for. God thinks your sin is such a big deal. It is so egregious to him. It must be justified. It has to be dealt with. Right, don't I have to do it? No, you can't. The payment for your sin looks like the suffering of Christ. It looks like the beating. It looks like the crown of thorns. It looks like his beard being pulled out. It looks like him being spat upon. It looks like him carrying the cross. It looks like the nails. It looks like the hammer. It looks like him suffocating as his lungs filled and his heart stopped to the point that when his side was punctured, blood and water flew. It looks like, that looks like the payment of your sin because it is. Christ had to pay it. It's called the atoning sacrifice. He paid a debt he didn't know because you and I owe a debt we can't pay. The lavishness of God's grace is not the absence of his wrath. His wrath was poured out on his son so that we could escape it. See? And when I repent and confess and come home, of course the Father rejoices. Look at what he paid to make that possible for you and I. He looks and says, they, they, they took advantage of it. I'm not worthy to be your son. This whole thing is to make you worthy to be my son, my daughter, my child. Here's the truth. I want you to get this. If You should get a tattoo of this on your face, it, right? This is so important. Ready? My worthiness to be in my father's house is not my decision to make. It's my father's. I don't decide if I'm worthy to be accepted by God. God decides if I'm worthy to be accepted by God. I don't decide if I'm worthy of forgiveness. God decides if I'm worthy of forgiveness. I don't decide if my sin was that one sin that's on the list and God won't ever accept me. God makes those decisions. They're not my decisions. And God looks and says, anyone who receives forgiveness from my son and his substitutionary atonement and repents and confesses, I am faithful and just to forgive and cleanse. I decided that through my son, you are worthy. I'm not worthy to be your son. Oh, yes, you are. Because you have accepted the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. 
This was not the father withholding. This was the son who was struggling to accept. And guys, this transition is life-changing. A child of the pig pen does not see themselves the way that a child of the king of kings does. A child of the pig pen does not make the decisions that the child of the king of kings does. Part of the reason why the Bible seems burdensome and cumbersome is because we see ourselves as a child of the pig pen instead of a son or a daughter of the king. We look and say, I, there's no way that I can earn this. I can't do this. Where a child of the king says, I'm so grateful I've escaped this and been set free of it. I live in a freedom, not under a burden. It changes everything in our relationship with God. It changes everything in our outlook. And it's not because you and I got our act together. It's because our heavenly father gave his son. The son laid his life down. And when I receive the forgiveness of my sin, when I repent, when I confess, he's faithful, he's just to cleanse me. And I am a new thing. I am a son of God, a daughter of God. And in that position and in that relationship, I am a holy nation. I am chosen by God. I'm a priest, part of the priesthood of all believers. That's who I am. The struggle for the son is not the reception of the father. It's the acceptance of what the father was offering to the son. When the kids were little, you know, we'd have like discipline issues along the way. You know, Heidi and I would. We have six kids. My son sinned. My daughter's actually never sinned, but the sons, the boys, right? And so we have discipline issues along the way. And, and when there was a discipline issue, there'd be some version of this that would play out. I would uh, go deal with the kids if I was dealing with it instead of Heidi. And, and we would address the sin, you know, did you hit your brother in the head with an aluminum baseball bat or not? Yes or no? That's not a hypothetical situation, right? It actually happened. So, it, you know, there, and there was sometimes there was some, oh, no, I didn't. Well, he was a jerk, you know? So there's some kind of like process like that. And then when we got through that, we, we would, once we had that accepted, we'd say, okay, now that you've hit your brother in the baseball bat with the head, you need to go say you're sorry. I'm not doing, I'm not doing. Some, some form of discipline would, would come in, a spanking or something like that. By the way, I never said this will hurt you more than it hurts me. If it hurts you more than it hurts your child, you're doing the, the spanking all wrong. And so, right, so, and so sometimes there's like some form of a spanking. It just kind of depended on what the situation was. And so finally there would be like a break and I did it, I'm guilty, and gnashing of teeth and weeping and all that kind of stuff would, would happen. And so we'd get through that section. Sometimes this took a minute, sometimes it'd take weeks. And so, you know, just kind of dealing with this. And then as we got to the end of it, I, I always wanted to make sure that we had some resolution to our relationship, right? And so there would be something like, let's, pr I want to pray with you. Okay, daddy. And we'd pray and we'd talk, you know, daddy loves you. I know daddy. Like, and we go through that and then it would end with some version of this. I would stand up and I would say, give me a hug. Give me a hug. And they would come up to me and they'd be like, mm. <laughs> right? 
And I, and I would wrap my arms around them and kiss them, and I would, I would be holding them. And I would say, I'd say, use your arms. And they'd be like, all right? And stand there. And I would say, squeeze. And they would squeeze, and we'd laugh, and there's usually some version of a tickle war that would, would break out, right? Have you come to your senses? Have you repented? Do you confess, I've sinned against you and heaven? I own it. The Father has run out, thrown his arms around you, given you a kiss. Use your arms. Squeeze. Embrace the embrace. In Christ, you are not what you were. You are who God says you are. And he looks at you and says, you are my daughter. You are my son. That is who you are. You are not the pig pen you turned away from. I'm the one that decides. It's my decision. And I declare, I declare you are sanctified, you are justified, you are made holy, you are made blameless, you are adopted. Use your arms. Squeeze. Receive the embrace that your Father God is giving you. Here's a prayer for you. God, if you're real, God, if you're real, help me to accept your love. Help me to accept what you're offering me, to believe it. Guys, listen to me. If I stood up here for an hour and railed against your sin, you would all nod your head yes. Even if you were hard-headed, I can prove it to you. You cannot deny it. You would agree with me you would leave this weekend, you would email me, you would hit me on social media, and you'd say, good sermon, Jeff, I needed to be challenged. Boy, you, threw, you got him this week. But if I stand up here and pro proclaim the grace, the love, and the acceptance of your heavenly Father, you'll nod your head no. It can't be that easy. That feels liberal. There's no way. It's in the same book. And God loves you, and it's why he points our sin out to us, so we know that we're in it. And God loves you, and that's why when we start dragging our sorry selves home, he runs out and throws his arms around you. Embrace the embrace. God, if you're real, help me to accept 
your love. The band's going to give us some space to think. They're going to they're sing three songs. These songs, the words of these songs are gold. At, le- at least listen or pray or use them as a way to, to respond back to God because the truths that we're going to sing about here for the next few minutes are, are mind-boggling and life-changing. So as they lead us, you can pray, worship, respond, think. If you want to say your own words, of course, do that. If you want to pray this prayer, God, help me to accept your love. Jesus, when we've come home, you've been waiting. God, thank you for loving us, for giving your life, for defeating sin, for defeating death. And God, the free gift seems unbelievable, but it's true. So God, as we struggle with our humanity and the pain and the insecurities and the frustrations of it, to know we have a Father that's already decided. Lord, through your Holy Spirit, would you press that deep into our hearts, find our insecurities and address them, find the lies and debunk them, And give us the freedom of living in your love and in your truth. Work in our hearts even now, Jesus, in your name.